All right. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to, to John chapter number four. We're going to talk today about the fruit of expectation. And uh, today is, of course, the anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, a monk named Martin Luther in Germany in 1517 uh, had had enough, so to speak. And he was on the heels, if you will, um, chronologically of people like Wycliffe and Huff and these guys were, were kind of paving the way for Martin Luther. I, I think that if, if Wycliffe and others had not done what they had done and taken the risks that they had taken, and many of them paid with their very lives being burned at the stake, we probably would never have heard of Martin Luther. But he is the one that, that really set the final, if you will, nail in the door of the church and said, uh, these are 95 things that we need to talk about as a church uh, because the Bible tells us specifically that we are saved uh, not by paying money to the church. We don't get our sins forgiven by paying money to the church. Uh, we are forgiven because of God's graciousness. We are uh, saved by grace through faith. We are saved because of the Scripture's authority, not the Pope's authority or the priest's authority or the pastor's authority. Uh, it is the Word of God. and We are saved to the glory of God, uh, not the glory of the church, but to the glory of God. And so he pins that 95 thesis on the church, uh, the uh, Christ Church in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, and thus, of course, not knowing exactly what was going to happen after that, but he knew sparks were going to fly. That, that he knew. But I would imagine he was asking the question, what if? What if this is received well? What if it's not? What if this makes some changes in people's theology, which is God thoughts, what you think about God? What, what if? People reject it absolutely and, and categorically. There was this what if, what's going to happen? What are the possibilities? We, we, I, I don't know, but he was compelled to do what he did. And so throughout this message today, I want us to look at that question, what if, and then pose it within a couple of different scenarios and see what we come out with. We're in John chapter 4. We'll get there in just a moment. This is a story, one of the, my favorite in the Bible, where Jesus meets a woman at the well of Jacob. She's a Samaritan woman. And the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was down in the region of Judea, and he wanted to go up into the region of Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria was the intersecting um, part of the nation, so he had to go through Samaria unless he wanted to get into a ship, or cross over the Red Sea and come back. So there was a, there was a lot of um, uh, tactical difficulties with that. So he goes up through, through Samaria, and he comes to the well of Jacob. And there he meets a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were a special group of people, I guess you could say. They were what we could analyze as kind of uh, mixed in blood and mixed in religion. They were part Jewish and part something else, part other nationalities. You got to remember, uh, when God chose Israel to be a nation, Abraham being the father of Israel, the nation of Israel, he wanted to show the entire world, this is how I treat my people. I bless them when they follow me and serve me. Don't have to be perfect, but they're following after me. I bless them and I pour out blessing on them that they don't even deserve. And it's more blessing than what other people have naturally. When they plant their crops, their crops are going to uh, produce much more than their neighbor who planted the same crop in the same region at the same time, but yet are outside of the nation of Israel. He wanted to show the entire world, this is how I treat my people. 
as well as he said, when my people go astray and they don't follow me and they rebel against me, they're going to have hardship. There's going to be difficulty and even other nations will come and overpower them. So I want the world to know and to see. And so here we have Samaritans who are a mixture. They're, they're not pure Israeli. They're part Israeli and part other nationalities, which is just not what God wanted, but it is the reality of what was. Of course, obviously now in the New Testament, we understand that the, the special group of people that God calls and wants to bless is the church, those who have been redeemed by Christ. And of course, in the church, what makes us unique and special is not our nationality, but the rebirth that God gives us. Jesus said, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom. And so therefore, who we marry is not a big deal at all. A person of, uh, of American descent can marry someone of another nationality that comes from another, I almost said another planet, I meant to say continent. Just make sure you're still with me today. Better get that one right. So today, it, it doesn't matter, but Christ gives us the new birth. And so God says, I'm going to show my favor in the church. I want us to look at this incident here with Jesus and this woman at Samaria. John chapter number 4, and we're going to look at several verses in this. Are you ready? The first thing I want to look at is, what if I expect divine appointments? What if I expect a divine appointment? This is what was encountered in this situation between Jesus and this woman. Now, this woman, uh, we find out that uh, this woman had a, a history. She had some baggage, if you will. But there was this divine appointment. If you look there in verse number 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Here is this start of a divine appointment, which appears to be kind of natural, just kind of like, you know, he's sitting by the well, she comes to the well, and he says, would you give me a drink? That doesn't really sound like something exciting and powerful, does it? But it's a divine appointment. And sometimes we miss divine appointments because we're looking for the, for the bottle rocket to go off in the sky to tell us and warn us, hey, this is a divine appointment. And yet God says, wait a minute, you can expect divine appointments on Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock and Tuesday morning at 9.32 and on Thursday afternoon at 2.24. You can de expect divine appointments all of the time. But many times you'll enter into that divine appointment and you won't even realize this is a divine appointment. This is a moment when something special is going to happen. He's sitting there, she comes to draw water, and he says, give me a drink. And that starts that divine appointment. We find in Mark chapter 10, there's a guy named Blind Bartimaeus who has a divine appointment with Jesus. And as Jesus is passing by, he's saying, hey, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And they tried to shut him up, and he cried out even louder because there was a divine appointment, and he was healed. We find there's a, blind, a lame man at the temple in Acts chapter 3, he didn't know there was going to be a divine appointment, but when Peter walks by, he just kind of shakes his cup like, hey, I need some money. I need some money. I'm crippled. I, I can't work. I need some money. And that's when Peter and John stopped and said, hey, listen, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we're going to give you. And it was a divine appointment. Every time we meet with God, it's a divine appointment. And there's so many divine appointments that God wants to use us to reach and to help and to meet other people. 
this woman began to quickly realize that this was a divine appointment, but not at this moment. We see in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 26 that an angel speaks to Philip. And he says, I want you to go down to this road. You're going to meet someone. And he just goes. And there, suddenly there's a, a guy. He's a, he's a eunuch. He's standing by a chariot. And Philip goes and talks to him. He finds out the guy is reading the Old Testament. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Is I don't understand this. i got nobody to explain it to me. And Philip begins to explain to him the way of salvation and what he was reading and what it meant. So then they both get in the chariot and they're going down the road. And this guy's accepted Christ as Savior. He understands what Philip has said. And then they come to a place where there's some water. And Philip says, hey, man, there's some water here. You want to get baptized? The guy goes, Yeah. I mean, this is a paraphrase, Chris Stevens' paraphrase, okay? It's not King James, obviously. So the guy goes, yeah. So they go down into the water. Philip baptizes the guy, and they come out, and all of a sudden, Philip is gone. Like, spooky, isn't it? You can say yes, it's okay. God does spooky things sometimes. Philip's just gone. And the eunuch's sitting there going like, well, that was cool. Okay. And he goes on. Divine appointment. This woman was experiencing that divine appointment. In Luke 21, in verse 14 and 15, Jesus said this. He says, listen, you're going to have some encounters with some people, and you're going to worry about what to say. He said, don't worry about what to say in that moment. In that moment, I will give you the words. We can't think we've got to be, we've got to have all of our ducks in a row and we've got to have all the information. We've got to consume all of this word and have every answer to every question, to every problem before we can have a divine appointment. And God says, no, I will give you the words to say in that moment. I'll give you the words. I'll tell you what to say. Several years ago, I was pastor in our first church. It was across the street from a high school. It's back 100 years ago. And... Uh, we, uh, the, the parking lot at the, the, at the school across the street was completely full. And so we had kids wanting to park in our parking lot, students. And so we were like, that's a great opportunity to minister to the students because, you know, they won't let you on the campus. So we said, campus will come to us. And the school didn't like that, and they just had to deal with it. So we, we let the students park on the parking lot. We created a Bible study for them uh, on a Tuesday mornings. And uh, so we had, to, we had to buy some gravel and spread some gravel to extend the parking lot so we could get more students there. And they were eager to do that. So we had to rent a bobcat. So a guy comes and delivers the bobcat so we could spread the gravel. And so, you know, it was just a guy, you know, delivering a bobcat. And uh, I just said, uh, hey, man, you know, what's going on? What, what's going on with your life? I didn't know it was going to be a divine appointment. I was like, he's a guy delivering a bobcat, and I need to get busy spreading gravel. Hey, man, what's going on? He goes, oh, blah, 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 blah. I said, hey, man, you go to church anywhere? No, no. I said, well, why don't you come to church here? And he said, oh, you don't want guys like me. I was like, what do you mean? He said, do you want uh, gay people at your church? I was blown away. Because, you know, sometimes there's, like, indicators Oh, y'all need to lighten up a little bit, okay? I mean, sometimes somebody says, yeah, I'm gay, and you're like, yeah. But there was none of that. I, you know, it was just like, 
So I was shocked. And I said what the first thing that came to my mind, and I, and I said, yes, you're welcome at our church. And he just looked at me. It was this awkward silence. And I thought I probably should say something. And I said, well, I mean, you can't become a deacon or anything, but, you know, you can come to the church, you know. just want to clarify a few things. And uh, he said, no, 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 you, no, you don't, no, you don't want me. I said, well, man, you're welcome. You're welcome to our church. And um, so that was like on a Thursday. He called me on my phone, on my cell phone on Saturday. He said, hey, man, this, this is Patrick. You know, we talked on Thursday. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, I don't know what you're praying, but I have not been able to get our conversation off my mind. And I was like, our conversation? I just invited you to church. Not our conversation. I think we talked about the Trinity or something. No, nothing. So I was like, okay, uh, see you tomorrow. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm going to be there. I said, okay, all right, great. He gave his life to Christ. And it was, it was about a month later, he brought a friend with him. They were friends. And he sat there the whole time while I preached with his arm around his friend. No, that didn't cause any problems in the church, no. <laughs> people were like, Chris, did you see that? I said, yeah, wasn't that beautiful? People bringing other people to church. I said, that was awesome. People reaching out and bringing them. That was, it was great. Yeah, but they shouldn't do that. Well, you know what? You shouldn't speed on the way to church either. And I said, don't worry about it. We just pray. And let's see what God has in mind. Right? So the point is, you don't know when a divine appointment is going to happen, but aren't you thankful that God loves divine appointments? He loves it. So what if I expect divine appointments? Secondly, what if I expect unconditional love? What if I begin to expect that unconditional love? If you look there in this uh, uh, chapter 4 of John, verse number 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You know what I love most about that verse? There's no qualifications. Well, the only qualification is ask. He didn't say, you know, if, if you knew the gift of God, and if you jumped through this hoop, and you did this right, and you did that right, and you, then he'd give you eternal life, or he'd give you living water. No, he just said, all you have to do is ask. It's this unconditional love that just gets poured out from the heart of God. It just says, I, I get it. You're, you, you got some things going on in your life. You've done some things. You got some baggage, but I'm here to love you unconditionally. That's the love that we all long for and we want. And this woman had been longing for that her entire life, just like you and I long for that kind of love. Jesus looked past all of the stuff and he said, I'm here to give you living water. A Samaritan. You got to remember when Jesus sent his disciples out to minister, he said, I want you to go preach the word. I want you to go heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, but don't go to Samaria. <laughs> okay. Was it God's against Samaritans? Well, obviously not. 
There was a timing. Just because God says, not now, doesn't mean he will not later say, now's the time. Sometimes he says, no, and if we'll understand it to mean not now, but get ready. Get ready. If you remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, the word tells us you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So God is saying, hey, man, now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you're filled with power. You're going to be going to all parts of the earth because you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones that tell people what this is really all about. His love covers a multitude of sin. His unconditional love says you don't, you don't have to have the right pedigree and you don't have to write this and the right that. I'm going to pour out my love on you. Aren't you thankful that God poured out his love on you? The third thing is, what if I expect real transformation? I think that's a legitimate expectation that God would bring real transformation in our lives. The biggest um, complaint that many unbelievers have about the church is truly the lack of transformation. How we find that there are people who claim Christianity, and yet we find they're not living in a transformed life. Now, it's above my pay grade to figure all that out, but I will say this. God wants to transform our life so that we are different. Not, not haughty, but we're different. And so he says, I'm going to transform your life, and that should be the expectation. You know, when you're first saved, it's that first year, two years, five years, eight years, whatever. Man, you're just radically changing. Things are happening, and you're like, transformation. Yeah, transformation. I grew up in Daytona Beach. Daytona Beach. I just want to let you in on some information you probably don't know, but when you're a teenager and you're raised in Daytona Beach, the beach is where you want to be when you're a young man. Because I know y'all don't realize this, but girls don't wear a lot on the beach. <laughs> no, that's a shock. So, but you know what? When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, and you recognize there's some things happening in your life that should change, now you have the power to change because his life, his power is working inside of you. All of a sudden, I said, you know what? The beach just isn't a place for Chris Stevens to go this year. I'm not going to go to the beach. And it was a wonderful summer. It was a summer of transformation. It was a summer of growth. It was a summer where, hey, here we go. No matter how long you've been saved, we should always be expecting transformation. Because until we reach perfection, there's some things that need to be transferred. There's some things that need to be changed. There's some things that need to be given up and some things that need to be started. And so we can expect transformation. God is the great transformer. Amen? That's the God we serve. He changes our heart, our mind, our soul, our speech, our morals, everything about us. But what's beautiful is that Christ begins to work on the inside and it begins to work its way out instead of starting on the outside, working its way in. We don't change our behavior and the way we dress and the way we look and all that stuff and then hoping the transformation makes it down to our heart. Jesus starts with the heart and he brings it out to the exterior. That's real transformation. And that's what he was offering her. He says, this water is going to satisfy you're no longer going to want to search for other things because this water is going to satisfy. He's pointing kind of an interesting thing to realize about this particular woman that she'd been married five times. 
And now she's living with a man that she's not married to. Now, there's no stones being thrown at anyone. That's just the reality of what was. And Jesus was certainly not pointing a finger at her as if you're the problem. I don't think he was also pointing a finger at the other five, uh, the five guys and going, they're the problem. The fact was, this is reality. But what is this woman? Why did this woman get married five times? Because she was searching for living water that would satisfy, and she hadn't found it yet. So maybe, it, maybe it's going to be this one. Maybe, maybe he'll bring me that satisfaction that stays. And months or years later, I don't know. No, no, he didn't do it. I still feel the same. I still feel empty. I thought he would fill that void. Oh, let me find another one. Let me find something. And we have people all over Jackson County who are searching and searching for things that cannot satisfy, and they will never satisfy. They were not made to satisfy. There's only one that can satisfy the longing of our heart that causes us not to want anything else to fill that void, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that can satisfy eternally. Everything else will bring momentary satisfaction. He is the only one that brings lasting satisfaction. And that is what Martin Luther was trying to say. That's what he was trying to convey. He's saying, you guys are looking to the church to receive your forgiveness. If I, if I pay some money, I'll get a little certificate that says, you know, do not pass go, do not go to hell, do not, you know. If just in case you get caught in purgatory somewhere, just, just wave this piece of paper and you'll get out. That's what was happening in the church at that day. And Martin Luther is saying, we got to think about this because this is not what the Bible says. You pay for your salvation? You pay for your forgiveness? Really? It's interesting that when, when, a, when a church building needs to be built, suddenly a system is drawn up that says, well, how are we going to pay for that new building? Well, we'll get people to pay for their forgiveness. That's a plan. And that's basically what happened. And Martin Luther comes along and he says, no, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And that is it. That is the, the water that satisfies. But too many times we are, instead of saying, what if, we're saying, if only. If only I hadn't done that, if only I hadn't gotten involved in this, if only I hadn't been married five times, if only I hadn't been a drug addict, if only, and we look around it up, all the regrets that we have, and we think we're disqualified from the kingdom, I would submit to you that all of those mistakes is what qualifies you for forgiveness. Jesus said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance, not those who are well. I have come to heal the sick, not to pay attention to the well. It is the very, thing, the, the very thing that we're messed up is what qualifies us for the forgiveness that God offers. So we're not going to raise your hands, but if you're messed up today, you're, you're in great shape. Okay? Don't raise your hand. It's what qualifies us because God says, I've, I've come to help you. I've come to give you that source that will cause you to know forever that Christ is enough in you. Christ is enough. The next is, what if I expect community impact? We're going to draw it to a close on this one. Community impact. Look there, verses 28 and 29. 28 and 29. 
says, then leaving her water jars, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Um, I just give you a kind of a heads up. All those people in that town knew she'd been married five times and she's living with a guy now. They all knew that. So many times we look at it and we go, well, okay, yeah, okay, I've had an encounter with God, but would God use a person with my past? And the answer is yes. Would God use a person who has my kind of baggage? And the answer is yes. Don't forget what the Apostle Paul did. He said, listen, guys, yeah, I'm, I'm an apostle, but I'm the one that should least be an apostle because I persecuted the church. He said, you want baggage? I'll tell you my baggage. He said, I'm the one that was persecuted. I was the one that was throwing you guys in prison. I was the one that was consenting to your death. I'm the least person to be an apostle, but yet somehow God in his grace has caused me to be an apostle. One of the best ways of community impact is that verse number 29. She just simply said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? What she did not say was, Hey, listen, I had an encounter, and I know everything there is to know about God, and He is the Messiah. She was just simply stating the fact, I met this guy. He told me what he didn't know. He, he, there's no way he could know I've been married five times, and I'm living with a guy now. There's no way he could know that. So there's this guy. He, he told me these things. Could this be the Messiah? You know, I'm... There's a lot of different ways to evangelize and witness to people, but one of the great ways, especially in the day of information that we live in today, is not to tell them, but to just pose a question. Just pose a question. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus, the facts about his resurrection, there are more facts that support the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there are to support Julius Caesar. realize Alexander the Great? We've all heard of him, right? Alexander the Great. You realize it was 300 years after he lived that the first person started writing what he did? 300 years. You know how long it took for them to start writing about what Jesus did? <laughs> Not 300. It was just a couple years. They immediately started writing because they wanted this recorded. What if we begin to expect community impact in Jefferson and Jackson County? Hmm. See, Jesus had one more thing he wanted to do in this situation, and it was with his disciples. He wanted to make an adjustment with his disciples. We're going to end with verse number 35. He meets with his disciples. The woman's back at, in her town witnessing. The disciples come. And he says, hey, what, 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 what's going on there? And Jesus says, do you have a saying? Do you have a saying that says it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote, he said, the sluggard is the one who thinks it's not quite right to plow the field yet. 
you know, the, the weather's not quite right. The moon's not in the right position. The clouds, too many clouds. He's always looking for a reason not to plow the field for harvest. He said, the, the sluggard is the one who will not plow the field because everything's not just right. But in the time of harvest, he goes looking for carrots and doesn't find any. Another Chris Stevens loose translation. He says, you've got a saying. It was the procrastinator's anonymous saying. Hey, there's, there's still four months and we can get that done. Yeah, yeah, in another four months, we can do that. Yeah, in, 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 in four months, we can, we can do that. I mean, this is an election year, but I'm not going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, we're, yeah we'll, we'll figure it out in four months. Four months, we'll get it. Yeah, yeah, four months. It's a saying. It was procrastination. It was like, hey, yeah, we'll get to it one day. And Jesus is saying, the harvest is ready now. The harvest is ready now. We don't have to wait. Now is the time. And so then when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 2, he's saying, go get them, boys. Go get them. Now is the time for harvest. And that's what he's saying to us. Now is the time for a harvest in Jackson County. I'm here to say this morning that now is the time for harvesting Jackson County. Now is the time for us as the church and all the churches in our area to rise up and say, we are here not to demand to people, but simply to tell them, hey man, I've, I've met a guy who has completely revolutionized my life. Could this be what you're looking for? Could this be the solution to your situation? Could he be the answer to the problem that you're facing now? And I would submit to you, there are people who will reject you. And I submit to you, there will be people who will eat that up and say, where can I go to meet this guy? Where can I go to meet this God? Where can I go to meet this one who will give me what will satisfy the inner longings of my soul? And they will come with you to Hope Crossings, to a small group, to a life group, to anywhere where they can meet the one who can satisfy them because they're not satisfied. And the challenge is on for every one of us. The challenge is on to say, I'm not going to wait four months. I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to wait four months and, and maybe kind of, sort of, kind of, maybe. I'm going to go for it right now. Do I have all the answers? No. This woman didn't have all the answers. She had an encounter. More than answers, we need an encounter. More than answers, we need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Well, what about you today? You Maybe you have some answers because you've been in the church or you've got around some Christians or maybe your grandfather was a pastor or whoever. What about you? Have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Have you had that moment when, when there was a connection where his spirit entered into you and made that all new to where he gave you that living water that could satisfy? Nothing else has been able to. It doesn't mean you got a horrible life. It doesn't mean there's no joy in your life. It just means there's a longing in your heart that you're still searching for that something that you just haven't found yet, the very fact that you're still searching shows that there's something you have not yet received. I would submit to you, could that be Jesus? Could that be Jesus? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about the Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Assembly of God. I'm talking about Jesus. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? If you haven't, today's the day. Today's an opportunity. 
today's the moment when you can say, you know what? Okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to drink that water. I'm ready to receive Christ in my life. And you can do that right now.